So, Lent, <coughs> here we are again, comes around every year, apparently. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, John uh, kicked off our series on Lent. Do you remember anything of what he said? Join the club, John. <coughs> um, John spoke to us, or spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago about journeys. And he introduced this theme. Um, talking about the need to uh, think about Lent and think about journeys, the journey through Lent. He also made some comment about not what, go, not what goes on in my mind and not knowing about it, but I'm going to forgive him that one. So here we are, we're in Lent, and we've made our departure. We've set off on this journey. And we're taking a journey together through the Bible to better understand how we can get the most out of Lent, journey through it effectively, and make sure that by the time we get to Easter, we're actually prepared for what Easter really means for us. And this morning, I want us to think a little bit about purpose and place. But let's just catch up a little bit on the beginning of that journey that John started us on two weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 1, we, we read about the culmination of God's creation. And that that culmination was the creation of humanity. All that God created came to its sort of highest point when God created man and woman. And after he'd created human beings, he places them in this special place that we know as the Garden of Eden. This was the first and the true home for all of humanity. It was intended by God to be the place where we would live forever, where humanity would dwell, where we would be in a constant, full relationship with God. But as a result of the fall, humanity lost that connection, lost that relationship with God, and as a result, lost that perfect home. Sometimes, however, I think that in this world, we get a glimpse, a glimpse of that perfect place, that place where we're in a perfect relationship with God. It might be a song that you're listening to, and as you listen to the words of that song, it takes you into some place where you, you get a sense of being closer to God. Perhaps it's somewhere in nature. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in one of those places that I like to call thin spaces. Does anybody know those thin spaces? A thin space for me, is somewhere where heaven seems to touch earth in a, in a way that is both untangible and tangible at the same time. There's a place in Wales, I've got some photographs just to share with you, near to Langorse Lake, called Langasty, which is a picture of the church there. This is one of those places for me. It is just a place where, especially when there's nobody else around, and often in that part of Wales, there's nobody else around. There's just this sense of being 
preciously close to God, both inside this beautiful little church and just walking, sitting by the lake, walking close to it or on the mountains around it. For me, there's another place in the Gower Peninsula called Caswell Bay. I think there's another photo of that too. I don't know whether any of you know Caswell. It's a place we used to go as a family. And in the daytime, it's just rammed with people. And it doesn't feel like a very thin space at all, apart from there isn't much room between the people. But in the morning, before everybody else has gone out of their caravans or their tents or whatever it is, or late in the evening when everyone's given up, there's something magical, spiritually magical about the place that you can sit and feel close to this God, this creator God. It's a thin space, a place where God's presence seems to touch the earth. There are lots of them. There are, there are so many places that I've been and encountered, and we could spend the whole morning with me just showing you my slides. And this is when I... No, I'm not going to do that one, sorry. Have you ever wondered what it is? What it is that happens... When you're in a place like that and you find yourself captivated so deeply and so fully, have you? Have you ever ventured outside your house? I know we're not allowed outside our houses at the moment and we've got to sort of isolate ourselves, but have you experienced that? Is there somewhere for you that is one of those places? Shout out, come on, tell me where they are. Where are your thin spaces? On a mountain. Oh, quite a precise mountain then. Okay, not one of our local mountains. Fair enough. yeah, wow. Fabulous. Anybody else? Anywhere by the sea. At the back, sorry. Cool. Alaska, somebody said. Cool. Little Giddings, yeah. Okay. Okay, big sky. Easter morning we're planning to go up to Pendrayton Lakes just by the, the lake by the car park there to do a sunrise and at sunrise that is just spellbinding as the sun rises up over that lake. It's amazing. These thin places where just for a moment we can kind of escape the, the rush and the busyness and maybe the tiredness of life in this world find ourselves just captivated by realizing that, that God is really close, that God is still touching this earth. You know, sometimes we, we put God back up in heaven somewhere, we pack him up and we forget that he is still deliberately and constantly touching this earth with his presence. When we encounter that, it's a special thing. I think those places captivate us, capture our imagination, because 
they perhaps draw us into remembering that we're longing for something else. That we want more than this earth, this world offers. <coughs> but in that moment, we kind of are able to break out of those pressures and see that there is something better. There is something waiting for us. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of things. In one of his collections of essays, there's this short piece called The Weight of Glory. And he points out to these things, these kinds of places that we're drawn to. And he says this about them. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself, they are the, only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. What is that country? It's the kingdom of God. It's that, it's that kingdom, that world, that when, when we find ourselves in those places where it feels like God is touching the earth, that we get a glimpse of. The place is still the earth, but it just gives us a glimpse of the home that God still has for us, that is still waiting for us. It's our future. It's our destiny. It's where we're all heading. It's where our hearts long for. It, it, it's where our desires are. And that, I believe, is what captivate us, captivates us in those thin places, in those moments, when those words of a song just take us away. And there are times and places where we find ourselves in this life in this world, in the relationships that we have, experiencing those stirrings for the kingdom of God, longing for it. At least I hope you do. I hope that every single one of you longs for the kingdom of God. Because that's where our home is. The command that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 was to work the garden and to keep it. And by giving that command to us, God gives us a purpose and a place. A place to work out that purpose. Our purpose and our place is in the kingdom. It is not in the world that we're in now, although God has things for us to do here. The purpose was and still is to reflect God and his creativity made in the image of God. To reflect his creativity and to rule in God's way over all of creation. And that command becomes really difficult after the fall. With the entry of sin and the loss of our natural home. I've been reading a lot of poetry lately. G.K. Chesterton 
in a poem of his called The House of Christmas, he reflects on this, on the nature of, of us as human beings being in a homeless state. Homeless, what an important thing for us to think about. But he says, for men are homesick in their homes and strangers under the sun. I think what he means is that we are homesick because we know this world is not our home. Perhaps Lent is a time when we can reflect on both that initial command that God gives and our yearning, our desire for somewhere permanent. Somewhere that we can really call home. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about how God drives Adam and Eve out of that garden. He puts an angel at the entrance to make sure that they could not return. And in a sense, that was the first exodus, the first leaving of our home that God's people would experience. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this, But our citizenship it is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven should change the way that we interact with the world that we currently live in. Should change the way we interact with the people that we share it with. We are in the world, but not of this world. Our home is somewhere else. And living in the world is hard work. Because the world constantly pulls at us and tries to make us people of the world. And unless we hang on to and remember that we have a home somewhere else, that we are people of the kingdom, it's really difficult to resist that. To be dragged into doing things and being worldly people. How many of you are familiar with the works of Douglas Adams? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Read it, anybody? You're all too old or too young. That's oh, just me and Ed then, right? There we go. One of the first things that we can learn from this book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is contained on the front cover. Don't panic. It's the key to the book, it's the key to the story, but let me say right now, don't panic. Don't panic that you find yourself living in this world and that it's a difficult place to live and that there's all sorts of challenges. Don't panic because God is holding a home for you. There is a place that God is still calling you to and leading you to, his kingdom. Don't panic. The main character in the story of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in fact, this, I didn't know this, but this week there is a series on BBC Radio because it's 
42 years, 38, 42 years since the first time it was broadcast. And the answer to one of the big questions in the Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy is 42. So it's all been broadcast. So if you want to listen to it, go and listen to it. Not, not instead of me. But the main character in this story is a guy called Arthur Dent. And he's having a bit of a bad day with Arthur Dent. And his best friend, a man called Ford Prefect, great name, meets him or takes him to the local pub. And there in the pub, Ford Prefect explains to Arthur Dent that Ford is actually from Beetlejuice 7, the planet far, far away in another solar system. And he's been living on Earth for 15 years, doing research on the Earth to enter into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And for years, these two men had been best friends. And yet, Arthur Dent never knew the true identity of his best friend. He didn't know that he was an alien from another planet. There's a few people looking at their husbands now. <laughs> just, just wondering. Beetlejuice? See, Ford Prefect literally was an alien, a resident alien. He was living among the humans. He'd adopted many of their styles and attractions and dressed kind of like them, but not very well. He'd chosen a name that he thought sounded very human, but he looked like them, he talked like them, but at the end of the day, his home was far, far away. And like Ford, we are resident aliens. We are aliens living amongst our friends and sometimes even family members. But all the time, we are really citizens of another kingdom. The difference is, or at least the difference should be, that we shouldn't be quite so indistinguishable as Ford Prefect was. Nobody noticed that there was something different about him. Nobody even thought that he came from somewhere else. I wonder if that's the problem now. I wonder if the problem is that nobody notices that there's something different about us. I wonder if the problem is nobody looks at us and thinks <laughs> they come from another planet. Maybe they do. <laughs> Maybe the problem is that they do. But you know what I mean? Maybe we don't stand out. And the point is that we need to stand out. The world needs us to stand out. God needs us now to stand out in this world. And so, as we work through this journey through Lent, I want to encourage you to ask these two questions. To ask them when you go home today, to ask them in your house group, to ask them of each other. What does it mean to you that you are a resident alien? What does that mean? Have you become 
have I become indistinguishable, indistinguishable from the rest of the world. I think, I believe that these few questions could be the most important questions you ask yourself during this season of Lent. Because if the answer to the second one is, I don't think I'm very indistinguishable at all, then it ought to provoke you to do some serious thinking and talking with God. When we were put out of the Garden of Eden, as well as the armed angels that he puts around that entrance, these things, this this being expelled, that the fact that God protects, God protects and guards the kingdom, they are a strong reminder to us that He is sovereign. He is the, the King of creation, the God of creation, and He is sovereign. I was reading in Genesis chapter two and, and into Genesis chapter three during this week, reading about the story of Noah. And I was really struck in a way that I've never thought about it before that God makes a promise. Well, first, God does something astounding. He gives all of humanity a second chance. And he chooses someone who's righteous but not perfect. We discover that a bit later. But in Noah, he gives humanity a second chance. He says, come on. Let's, let's, let's try this again. And then he does something remarkable for two reasons. He makes a promise. This is God. This is God, the creator of the universe, who makes a promise to us. Does that not astound you? God doesn't need to make promises to you and me. God, this is God. And yet he chooses to make a promise to us that he will never destroy the earth again. He'll never wipe it out. And I was thinking about that and I thought, what an odd thing to do when you've just rescued the world and you've set it back in motion again, to start again, and you've given the whole world the chance to get it right. God makes a promise that he won't do it again. Why? Because he knows we're going to mess up. Even in that moment that he gives us a second chance, in that moment that he makes that promise, he knows we're going to get it wrong. What an amazing God. He knows, and his plan, in that moment, that promise is just leading us to where we go at the end of Lent in Easter when we see the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus Christ. The God who creates everything, the one who makes the laws, the one who judges our transgressions and our sins, the one, the only one who can punish. Ultimately, God gives us all a second chance and holds open the promise of returning home. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says this. <coughs> but 
our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One day Jesus will return and our bodies will be transformed to look like his, the perfect Adam, Jesus. And in that moment of transformation, we will be, ent- we will be able, finally, to enter our true home once again. So, this Lent, embrace the opportunities to consider what it means to be aliens, to just be here for a while. And remember, it has an end. And that end is with God. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And um, I'm going to lead some prayers to start with. And then I've asked Noreen if she would bring us prayers, specifically about the fellowship and the community and those close to us. So let's pray together. Father God, we lift our prayers to you today. We lift our hearts, our mouths, and our ears to hear. Your word tells us that we are to be people who live in this world but are not of this world. And we acknowledge that it can often be hard to find the right balance with this in our life. We can choose to listen to the world more often than we listen to you. We can choose to behave as the world invites us rather than you would have us to. And yet, we can also find that we don't always look at this world with your eyes. We allow ourselves to ignore or turn away from the situations and the challenges happening in this world. Those things that you need us to notice. Those things that you want us to care about. Those things that you want us to get involved in. So help us, Lord, in your spirit to notice, to care, and to respond. And help us to find all that we need to do this through a closer relationship with you, rather than turning to the world for our guidance and our direction. God of grace and compassion, Our hearts are full of gratitude as we think of the many blessings in our lives. The gift of faith to believe in you, the love of family and friends, the shelter, clean water, plentiful food, access to education and health care, for the freedom of speech and the freedom of movement. 
And as we turn our attention to this world, may we never lose sight of the fact that we are all connected. Connected to all of those whose race, faith, political beliefs and gender persuasions are different from ours. The success and failures in other people's lives are our successes and failures. The suffering and joy in other people's lives is our suffering and joy. We understand that the privileges that we enjoy are what you desire for all people. And we grieve deeply for those who don't share in these basic human rights that we take too often for granted. So help us. Help us as we struggle with this ever-present ambiguity of our faith to see your compassion. Keep us aware of our responsibility to reach out in compassion to those whose lives are a constant struggle for survival. And so, Father, we pray for the world and for all the people of it. We think of those caught up in this moment in war and conflict. And we pray for those who are trying to keep peace in this world and those who are trying to find peace in their world. And we pray now for all those individuals, all those communities and countries caught up in the impact of the coronavirus. We pray for those who have been affected by it, those who are working to contain it, to treat it, and to prepare for dealing with it. We pray for sensibility over sensationalism and compassion over criticism. We pray for those who have lost their lives to it, or those who have lost loved ones to it, and for those who are currently coping with the virus. And now, Lord, we take time to remember those known to us who are unwell or those that may have died. Loving Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that we can always bring our prayers before your throne of grace. We humbly ask your forgiveness for any wrongdoings this week in thought, word and deed. And first of all, we want to bring before you the family of Gordon Sage who passed away last evening. We just pray we especially close to his wife, Val, and his sons, Jonathan and Matthew, that you will help them as they deal with the practicalities following his death, Lord. And be with Mary and Thomas as, as they support Val and Matthew and Jonathan as they pass on. And we also want to pray for Alan, who is now in a care home and has various health issues. We pray for the staff taking care of Alan that they will be guided in their care of him. Thank you for all the visitors he received. We also pray for Connie, who's now in a care home too, 
please God be close to Connie and give her your peace and be with the staff who support her. We pray for Bernard, who is now out of hospital and home with Jean. Please God be with Jean and his visiting carers as they take care of him. I'm going to leave a space now for you to bring your own prayers before God, either quietly in your hearts or out loud. All-powerful God, thank you for reassuring us of your constant presence as you help us and give us opportunities to reach out and help others. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Noreen.